Like, I can get a coffee or four, you know? Um, but I remember, it, well, it was, when she was saying this, it was funny. A few years ago, um, I had moved out to Kansas in 2009, and uh, I had, had brought a ton of clothes with me. Some stuff, you know how, like, when you go in your closet, you're like, yeah, I got that stuff, but I haven't worn it in, like, seven years, and it's just like, one day I will fit back into those clothes. So it's kind of like it makes you feel good about yourself when you just keep the stuff in there. So uh, <clears throat> I was going through some clothes, and I'm like, you know what? It's time to, to throw things out. This was a couple years ago. So four years later, after I had moved out, I'm going through, and I find $20 in one of my pockets. And I'm like, that is the coolest thing. Like, thank you, former self from five years ago. That was great. Like, Best Christmas gift ever. Anyway, sorry, that's just a random story. I thought it was fun, though. Uh, what I want to do this morning, uh, I want to do a brief recap of uh, last week. Uh, I thought what Jonathan brought with, to us was really important and impactful for every single one of us. Um, there was really one line, I think, that stood out among all the other ones. And so we're just going to kick, uh, kick off right here in Luke chapter 1, verse 34. Luke chapter 1, verse 34. The message was, uh, remember, about Mary carrying God, literally carrying God in her womb. So this is what it says, verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? So the angel communicates, hey, you're going to be carrying God here soon. She asks, how will this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then jump ahead to uh, verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed her. There was one line that stood out among all of them, and it was really coming out of that verse. Verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. So what's funny is, a lot of times we build things up in our mind as, wow, that's impossible. There's no way that could happen. You know, there's no way. But what's impossible with man is possible with God. Jonathan said something that was really key and important for all of us. It says, if God tells you to do something that's difficult, then that's not from him. Really, essentially, God doesn't ask us to do difficult stuff. He asks us to do impossible stuff. And the reason why is because it's not us who's doing it. It's God doing it through us. And so this morning, uh, what I want to say is, I, I think that we really need to hear uh, this message this morning. I'm talking about the incarnation. Um, I'm not a huge, like, Christmas guy. I'm not all about, like, the season's tidings and cheer and all that stuff. Like, truthfully, I'm, I'm not like a bah humbug or anything. I'm just like, hey, it's like another month. But the incarnation, the celebration of, of the coming of Christ, the coming of God in the flesh, is so important for us, not just during the season, but for all of our life. And so this morning, I will tell you right off, right off the get-go, if you only hear from me this morning, then this is a waste of time. You need to hear from God. It's impossible for me to give you something. This is why we need to hear from God. So this morning, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes and just pray that God would meet us here. God, we thank you for, for who you are. God, that you're here, you're not far. God, I pray right now in this time, in this moment, that you would, you would meet us in this place. God, you would illuminate the word, uh, speak something new to us. God, I pray that, uh, that we would walk out of this place not just as 
uh, having heard a good message and that was awesome and great, but God, that you would meet us, you would change the very way that we think and live. God, we thank you, we love you, we look forward to all that you have for us this morning. In your name, amen. All right. The incarnation. You're probably like, what, what does that word mean? Are you talking about like cows or something? Like what's, what's going on? Incarnation, car, carnates, flowers, the, what's that all about? The incarnation. The incarnation literally means to enflesh or to put on flesh. So the word incarnation is God putting on flesh. And this is, we do celebrate this at Christmas, right? Celebrate the incarnation. Jesus coming as a little baby, right? We celebrate it. The thing is, there's a lot of misconceptions around this whole idea of the incarnation. A lot of times people will say, oh, the incarnation, it's like 50% God, 50% man. No, that's not right. It's not 50% God, 50% man. It's 100% God, 100% man in the form of Jesus Christ and who Jesus was. 100% God, 100% man. Oh, so like 200%? No, I'm not talking 200%, right? Well, how can you add 100% and 100% and get 100%? I don't know. What's impossible with man is possible with God, right? We're going to keep coming back to that, so get used to it. The thing is, it's 100% God-man. 100% God-man. That is who Christ is. That's what uh, he is. In fact, uh, take a look at John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's important right there. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Then you jump forward to verse 14, it says this, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So verse 1 says the Word was God. Verse 14 says the Word became flesh. You see God and you see man. 100%, 100%. Right there in just those three verses. Now what's interesting is in the early church, they were trying to figure all this stuff out. It was kind of confusing. They were like, what's this all about? But there was a very real understanding that God was fully God and He was fully man. Someone came along... And uh, you may recognize him, uh, Santa Claus, right? Yeah, Santa Claus. Everyone knows who Santa is in this room, right? Do you know that he was based off of St. Nicholas? Jolly old St. Nick. You've probably heard you know, some of the songs or St. Nicholas. That's a real person. It's not just some song or a figure in, in a song, but that was a real person. In fact, St. Nicholas had a bit of an issue at the time with somebody uh, in, in that era, because they were spreading something that was false about both the deity and personhood, the manhood of Jesus. So uh, there was a guy by the name of Arius. Uh, uh, don't worry, I'm going somewhere, so just track along here with me. I promise we're going somewhere. Arius was uh, spreading false beliefs about the nature of Jesus, specifically that he was created. So in other words, Arius is saying, hey, Jesus was a created being, therefore he couldn't be God. There's something wrong with that. So all the church leaders at that time were like, whoa, hang on a second, that's not, that's not right. We need to get together and address this issue because Arius actually had a large following of people who he was essentially swaying with his beliefs. But it's like, hey, like, that's not true about who God is, so we need to address this. So they got together at the Council of Nicaea, 
And uh, they, they all met and talked together, and they're making arguments back and forth. And apparently St. Nicholas was listening to Arius speaking and got so angry with him that he literally got up out of his chair, walked over to him, and slapped him across the face. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not joking. Th- these are like really um, cordial proceedings, too. It's like, I don't know if you've ever seen like British Parliament, where it's like, they have like the ceremonial thing where they walk in and there's two sides opposing and they're like, it, I mean, it's, it's very, very formal. And so, I mean, Arius just gets so, you know, just like he's lying, right, blatantly here. And, and St. Nicholas is so angry. He's like, I'm done. Forget it. You're just getting slapped right here. In fact, uh, we actually have a picture of it. Take a look. So actually, that is a real picture, by the way. That is a real picture. The words are there, right where the, the actual stone was. It, it's the same words, right there. I'm just kidding. That's, I made those up, right? You're wondering, like, oh, like, heresy. What is that? Heresy and blasphemy. Those are actually two theological words. Blasphemy is, people were calling Jesus a blasphemer because he was a man, but he was saying, no, I'm, I'm God, essentially. I'm God. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders at the time, were like, oh my gosh, that's blasphemy. Because what he was doing is, he was the, the, the religious leaders, they believed that you're taking something that's flesh and you're making it holy. So when you take something that's mundane and you make it holy, that's blasphemy. Heresy is the opposite. You're taking something that's holy and you're making it mundane. You're, you're basically uh, degrading the truth. So those, that's what those two words mean, in case you're ever like, going through Scripture and you're wondering what those mean. So that's what it was. So, I mean, it's funny because we, we have this idea of Santa Claus, who's this jolly old, you know, fat guy with a beard. He's like cold chugging and cookie eating, guy who's committing breaking and enterings every single year on one day, and everybody's happy, and just, they just love it, right? I mean, this guy, how did the, the, the legend of St. Nicholas become what it is today? I'm still trying to figure that out. I, I have no idea. Well, why do I bring this up? The reason why is because Arius misinterpreted the Incarnation. Arius misinterpreted the Incarnation and led people astray. And we need to recognize that these key pieces of doctrine, it's not just doctrine, it's not just for academic discussion, but these are real things that impact every facet of our lives. So I don't want to make this an academic discussion. I don't want to talk about just doctrine. I want to talk about how this impacts us today and how it's important for every single one of us where we're at in our lives. I think especially in Christmas, it's, it's really challenging because, you know, we get all about, like, the season. Yeah, like, I love the movie Elf. It's awesome, right? All the Christmas movies. My wife, uh, we have Netflix at uh, our house, and there's just, I don't know, it's like right after Thanksgiving, all these, like, Christmas love stories go on Netflix. And they're just, like, super cheesy, you know, and just really, like, I'm like, okay, whatever. There's, <laughs> But like, it's, it just goes to point that people are like looking for something. It's not just about like manger scenes. It's not just about Christmas trees and getting gifts and all this kind of stuff. I mean, those things are good, and I love those things, but I think what's important is it's, it's easy to get inspired in this season, but it's also challenging. It's easy to, to give. It's easy to love. It's easy to serve this season. When love is in the air, right? This love, I mean, oh yeah, like, I, man, just, I want to give, I want to love you, yeah? 
It's not so easy to love and give and serve when it's not a loving season, right? Or you just feel like garbage. Or you're just, man, like, I'm just down. I just don't feel it. It's hard. We act as though these things, this, uh, they're just reserved for one month, starting uh, two days after Thanksgiving, not the day after, because that's the day that we trample people for flat screens, <laughs> right? Got to do that. Two days after Christmas, or after Thanksgiving, the central theme of the Incarnation is the passionate, pursuing, all-encompassing, never-ending love of God for humanity. And when you read through the entirety of the Bible, you see this from beginning, from the very first beginning, to all the way to the end. The whole story is all about God's love for humanity. So let's take a look at uh, a verse in 1 John 4. 1 John chapter 4. And we'll start in verse 13. This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we... What? No. no, right? So we know and rely on the love God has for us. So we and there you go on the love God has for us. We know and rely on the love God has for us. These two words we're really going to camp out here for the rest of our time. Um, so let's start with uh, how we know. First thing, the incarnation allows us to know a love that was initiated by God. It was initiated by God. Jump back a few verses to uh, verse 9. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Uh, there's a lot. We're going to break this down as we go through, but I, we're going to do it piece by piece, so uh, bear that in mind. But I want to look. But that He loved us, right? It was initiated by God. He was the one who made the first step. Um, how many people in here married, engaged, dating? Raise your hand. Yeah, don't worry. I'm not calling you up to talk or anything. Yeah, so a bunch of us. Um, if you're single in here, then you'll, hopefully you'll track with me. Um, how many of you, I, I just, I mean, I think about this, this season of when my wife and I were dating. Um, it's just, there's, there's parts of it that are just awkward where, it's, for example, like, when do you say I love you? Right? It's like, yeah, okay, like that, that, you get super nervous, you get butterflies in your stomach, like the first time you say it, how's she going to respond? Is she going to freak out? Like, you know, oh yeah, like, I love you, oh, I know, like, oh, that's like, oh man, like, come on, I hope not. So I, I pretty much, I was very strategic with it, okay, actually the very first time I told my wife I love you, it was the day I proposed. So, yeah, so after she says, 
you know, after I say, will you marry me? She's like, yes, okay, I love you, yes. Now, you got this giant diamond on your, on your hand, there's no way that you're gonna say I don't love you back, okay? It's like, gotcha, gotcha, right? I love you, right? But that's like, it's one of those things that you just, you're trying to figure that whole thing out, you know? You go on a date with somebody, if you're a single person, you go on a date and you're like, man, that was great, just thanks so much for the pizza, and I had a really good time, like, that was an awesome movie, oh, I love you, no, that's weird, don't, don't do that, like, if, if you're a single person and you've done that, I'm sorry, like, that's why you're single, like, don't, don't, you'll scare people, I'm pr- I, don't, don't overcommit way too early, okay, right? How about this? How about uh, when you put the love out there and you get a response like, wow, um, yeah, I don't love you. Ugh, yeah, right? I don't love you. Oh, so, like, we're not, you just want to be friends, right? Is that, no, I don't want to be friends either. (laughs) Has that ever happened? Don't raise your hand, please, do not. Don't, don't raise your hand, right? I don't love you, and I don't want to be your friend. That's brutal, right? What's amazing is that is exactly what God does with us. That's exactly what God does with us. He says, I love you, and our response is, I don't love you, and I don't want to be friends. That's what the gospel is right there. That's what Jesus did for every single one of us expressively when we rejected him. We don't really, you know, we know he exists, but just don't really care too much about it. It's a hard pill to swallow. God initiated his love for us even when we rejected him. And the incarnation allows us to know God loved us even when we were unlovable. Even when we were unlovable. There was nothing in us that would say, yeah, you got it together. That's the reason why I want to love you. That's not true. God didn't do that. There's nothing that was in us that he needed or wanted. But he chose, he initiated. He loved us when we were unlovable. It's, uh, for example, I think about it like this. Uh, My daughter, my wife said she's about one year old. She's about to turn one next week. The last few days, she's been really sick, um, just fever and miserable to be around and just, you know, cranky and coughing at night. And any parents in here who know you have a sick child who's awake at night, you are awake at night, you know, it's like you don't get any sleep. No one gets sleep in the house. It's like, oh, like, man, I really, ugh. But the funny thing is, it's like I still love my daughter even though she's sick right? Like, she's sick, and it's like, there's nothing that she could do to control that, but it's, I still love her. Or another example, if, you know, she's starting the process of figuring out balance and walking. It's really hilarious, by the way, if you get to, like, see her walk. She's like, you know, kids are just really awkward. But when she falls down, it's not like, oh, (laughs) yeah, you're terrible. I don't love you. Like, come on, that's ridiculous. She's learning. She's going through the process. God loved us when we were unlovable, when our attitude toward him wasn't the same. When we had nothing in us, God still loved us and initiated. The next thing, the incarnation allows us to know a love that identifies with us. 
It identifies with us. Jesus didn't come just to empathize. He came to identify. I am you. I walked in your shoes. I know who you are. Not that I just feel a certain way, but that I'm exactly as you are. Take a look at uh, verse 9 and 10 again. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son in the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. God showed his love among us. Right? It's not like Jesus was, you know, I'm just going to set the universe in motion, create everything, and then, hey, I'm just going to hang out way over here, not, not getting myself involved. You guys can go do whatever you want to do. He didn't do that. He said, you know what? I'm going to be right there with you, in the midst of you, right there. I'm going to come right where you are. How crazy is that? How crazy is that the God of the universe, who created everything, who put everything into motion, says, I want to come and be among you, among our frailty. He came to identify with our frailty, with our pain, with who we are. And as an atoning sacrifice, which literally means to cover over our sinfulness, there's nothing in us that would attract us to, uh, us to him. There's nothing in us. In fact, we had gone the opposite direction. We completely disobeyed. We were, uh, we were rebellious against God, but he said, you know what? I need to come. I want to come to come among you and to atone for you. I want to cover over that sinfulness that you have. He came to take upon himself the just and righteous wrath of God on our behalf that we rightly deserve. Every single one of us deserves God's wrath. He came right here, right in the midst. And then lastly, the incarnation allows us to know a God, to know a love without prerequisites. This is one of those that uh, I think is, is one of the challenging ones because I, I talk with people all the time uh, who just really believe, like, man, i got to perform for God, you know? Like, he's got something. You know, he needs me. Essentially is what that communicates. He needs me. He needs my skills and my talents and my abilities. And if I'm not performing, then I'm no good to him. Here's another one. Uh, I usually hear people say, you know what, I, I don't want to come to Christ because I don't have my life together. That's exactly the reason why you should come to Christ. Because you don't have your life together. And the truth is, none of us will ever have our life together. We'll never have it together. Because at our core, existentially, we are broken people. There's no way that we have anything that God would want. There's no threshold of goodness you have to cross for God to love you. He says, look, you're all in the same place, every single one of you. So we see it's not sentimental love that we're talking about here. This is sacrificial love. This is who Jesus was. It's not passive, like it's some kind of noun. Oh yeah, it's great, love. No, it's active in the person of Christ. It's a verb. It's not romantic love that we're talking about. It's also love that's reliable. Let's go back to uh, 1 John. 1 John 4.16 says this, And we know and rely 
on the love God has for us. We know and rely on the love God has for us. We've talked about how we know it, but relying on it is a totally different thing, right? Relying on it's totally different. John 14, 6, this is what it says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's not saying that he's a way or a truth or a life. He's not saying, hey, come, accept me, and you can do your religious duties on a Sunday and that'll take care of it all, right? Jesus is saying in that verse, I am the only way to live, the only truth, and the only life. Period. And the cool thing about it is that we can enter into that. We can enter into it. We're broken people. We can enter into the fullness of life that God has for us. We can rely on what he's done, on who he is. That's the good news. We need to rely on God's love when everything's falling apart around us. Right? When you're working through a broken relationship, you're feeling abandoned, especially around you know, the Christmas season. I think there's, this is tough for a lot of people because it's, hey, I had really close people near me who were no longer here. They passed away. So thinking through that, people who are dealing with divorces or abandoned kids, it's a really challenging season for a lot of people. And in these moments, in these seasons, this is where we really need to rely on all that God has for us for all of our life. Not just for Christmas. We need to be transformed by the love of God in Christ that says, I love you, period. It's like, yeah, but wait, what about, nope. I love you, period. Yeah, but if I just, nope. I love you, period. It's really that simple. It's easy to conflate the love of God into something that it's not. God just wants us to say, hey, just accept me. Embrace that love that I have for you. Rely on it and you'll know me. You'll know the fullness of love. Take a look at 1 John 4.11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. I want to wrap us up with two questions. Two questions. Number one, how has God loved me in Christ? This is just something to think about, to ask yourself in this season. How has God loved me in Christ? Second question, am I showing the same kind of love to others through Christ? You get to question two and you're like, man, I am struggling with question two. Go back to question one. Kind of sit on it for a while. Dig in. Pray about it. How has God loved me in Christ, and am I showing the same kind of love to others through Christ? We're going to wrap up. The worship team is going to come up. We're going to do one more song. I just want to pray for us. I think uh, God wants to do something and radically change the way that we think.
So God, we thank you this morning.